Yo, what's the deal, baby? This your boy, Uncle Luke, formerly of the Two Live Crew. You are listening to Pass It Down with Mike Silver and Natalie Silver. Natalie is the most beautiful young lady in this deal right here. Mike doesn't look so good, even though they're dad and daughter. It's the big show, baby. What's up, everyone? We are back for part two of our conversation with Dr. Harry Edwards. Um, in part one, we covered a lot of ground. We discussed race norming, which if you don't know what that is, go back and listen to the beginning of part one because it's about as bad as it sounds and the NFL is squarely in the middle of it. Yeah, um, we got into Donald Trump, why he is a symptom rather than the root cause of this problem societally. Uh, he talked about being shot at and living with the specter of assassination. And uh, now we're going to get into a lot of things, beginning with athlete activism, uh, which, you know, Dr. Harry Edwards is one of the uh, most important figures ever in that regard. Uh, and as with episode one, forgive us for some of the Wi-Fi issues. There will be moments where the sound drops out just for a little bit, but trust me, every word is precious and uh, stick with it. You're going to want to hear it. You helped spark this era of athlete activism. Obviously, you wrote the book on it. Great book, Revolt of the Black Athlete and others. Um, and then there was a time, in, you know, in the 90s with Jordan, where people thought athletes aren't standing up for things and they're, they're corporate. Um, obviously, we've seen, especially in the last few years with Kaepernick and, and certainly in the last year plus, Post George Floyd, we've seen a lot of people stand up and use their power and their voice. Um, how would you how would you assess the state of athlete activism and understanding their their power? You know, I'm a, a, a student from society, even though when I first uh, uh, began this um, this saga of uh, intellectual uh, analysis and exploration, uh, I was told that I was insane, that um, uh, sports is the tall Department of Human Affairs and there's nothing of any significance going on there that's sociologically worthy of investigation. Um, I think that's been proven wrong. Uh, but in any event, uh, I know that this is a 156-year-old um uh, sojourn that we're talking about when we talk about athlete activism. I mean, we go. This goes back to immediately after the Civil War when people began to organize baseball leagues uh, because that's what soldiers did in their spare time during the Civil War. They played baseball on both sides, a uh, Union and Confederate. <laughs> so uh, there were baseball leagues organized, and of course, uh, because they were segregated, black people organized. Uh, baseball leagues and one baseball player who was also an activist around the vote uh, was murdered on election day in Philadelphia because he was mobilizing black people to vote uh, under the newly um, uh, uh, developed uh, 15th, uh, 15th Amendment Emancipation Proclamation and so forth. Uh, then, of course, uh, you come right up through uh, Jack Johnson and Joe Lewis and Jesse Owens and the great Paul Robeson, which was uh, the uh, end of the first wave of athlete activists. The second wave came in post-World War II with Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby with uh, Kenny Washington and Willie Oddly, and Bill Wilkin, football, uh, uh, Kenny Washington, and uh, uh, 
Woody Strode of the Rams. Uh, and then in basketball, of course, Earl Lord and Chuck Cooper uh, with uh, the Celtics. Uh, and uh, that began a second wave of, of athlete activists who struggled for access, not uh, 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 legitimacy as Robeson and Jack Johnson and those athletes had done. Uh, and then, of course, that set the stage for a uh, wave of athlete activists with uh, Joe, with um, uh, Jim Brown, Bill Russell, uh, most certainly Ash, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, Kurt Flood, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Lucius Allen, Mike Warren, all those great athletes who were demanding dignity and respect as human beings. It wasn't just a matter of being on the floor or being on the field, doing it full dignity and respect as human beings. Jim said, for respect. Uh, uh, Bill Russell said, don't call me a basketball player. I'm a man. I'm a complete human being who just happens to do one thing better than anybody else in the world, and that's play one hell of a damn game of basketball. Uh, Except, of course, uh, for uh, uh, a, a period, a hiatus, where uh, whether it was movement fatigue coming out of the civil rights movement, the revolt of the black athlete, uh, the uh, beginnings of a women's movement and a gay movement, there was movement fatigue in that period from about 1974, literally into uh, the 21st century, about 2012, uh, 2008. But that doesn't mean that there was nothing going on because in conforming to the expectations of the corporate world, Julius Irving, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, that whole group of athletes enabled uh, the athletes that came after to develop the economic power and standing to be able to make powerful statements. Uh, in 1968, uh, I had, uh, uh, if I had gone to ESPN and say, hey, I want some time on your station or Fox or whoever else or CBS, I want some time on your statement station to make a statement because 50 percent of the of, of the NBA is now, they looked at me and say, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. <laughs> uh, Bill Russell couldn't have done that. Uh, uh, but um, LeBron James, CP3. Carmelo Anthony and D. Wade could when they went to ESPN and said, we want some time and we want it on your premier program, the ESPYs. Their response was, how much time you going to need? You know, I mean, that's power. Then women in the WNBA, uh, Maya Moore and uh, Renee Montgomery, they, they, they understood that the only reason it was Breonna Taylor and not them, was that they were not the ones in that apartment when those police broke in and started shooting wildly. So you had that dimension. What Kaepernick got involved in at the end, uh, at the beginning of that, was a continuation of what another woman had done, uh, Ariana Taylor, who in 2014, she was part of college basketball game in Surrey, about 10 miles from Ferguson and during the playing of the national anthem in 2014, she walked out on the floor and literally laid down on the floor for um, uh, four minutes and 20 seconds in commemoration of the four hours and 20 minutes that Mike Brown's family had to watch him lying in the street in Ferguson with his blood running into the gutter because the police would not move the body and wouldn't allow them to move it. And so she said that was an outrage. She was suspended, kicked off the basketball team. She said, that's fine. That's not a problem because if this is what basketball is about, then I don't want to be part of it anyway. Uh, they finally let her back on, but then she said, no, that's all right. You all go ahead with your game. I'm good. I'm good. She never played again. Uh, the uh, uh, 
Colin Kaepernick came after that in 2016, took a knee, and the situation was so rife for a change over from the uh, period 1974 through 2012 and the killing of Trayvon Martin and the hoodie demonstration by the heat that I knew that once he took a knee and they got it on television, even though he was an injured backup quarterback on a losing team, that this is one that was going to be a sea change development. It runs all back 150 years. It comes right up through today. And LeBron and CP3 and Carmelo and D. Wade and all of those athletes in the NBA and athletes in, in football uh, who uh, are still protesting and trying to organize Anquan Bolden and uh, that group of athletes trying to do their thing. The women who helped uh, change uh, the voting patterns in Georgia around uh, uh, the uh, Atlanta area uh, from the WNBA. That's a long history, and it's one that everybody has contributed to. LeBron and these athletes today, more so than standing on the shoulders of Thomas Smith and John Carlos and Bill Russell and those people, they stand on the shoulders of um, Dr. J, uh, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, because with an old civil rights uh, lawyer, by the name of David Stern, they were able to put together the corporate power that these athletes today exercise. So when they call up the commissioner of the NBA and say, no, we're not going to do no playoffs until we deal with this. How do you want to proceed with it? I'm curious what you think about the role of social media during this new wave of activism, because I know that there are is some debate about it. Uh, obviously, it empowers just the average person to have a voice and to speak up, and people to unite and mobilize. But also, I think that, uh, you know, some people would argue that it allows people to uh, get a false sense of validation or false sense of. Uh, I don't know, what would you say, that they're doing something productive, false sense of productivity, when really you're just posting and not doing anything impactful? Well, first of all, um, the social media, the internet, is the most powerful force for change uh, in the history of the world. Um, like I said, when I was organizing the Olympic Project Human Rights, I, would, I had a rotary phone. No such thing as an answering service at that time. You either had a secretary or a receptionist. Some wouldn't think I was totally insane. Ten of them might say, well, it's a good idea. Get back to me. Maybe five would say, okay, what can I do to help? Today, they don't have to deal with any of that. They can go into the computer, put their message in, and hit the single most powerful word in the history of the English language, S-E-N-D. And all of a sudden, it goes out to a million people. They resend it to a million more. And the next thing you know, it's all over the world. So uh, that's a phenomenally powerful uh, tool of social change. It is also a phenomenally dangerous tool unless it is properly managed and unless there is discipline in using it. In American society today, we have neither proper management. Nobody knows how to manage it. We are not even sure we can keep the electrical grid up. We're not sure we can keep the water running. We're not sure that we can keep the airplanes 
uh, uh, on uh, uh, the uh, uh, schedule uh, from uh, the various sites that they have to check in with as they fly across. Because somebody's sitting at home on their couch who has somehow into the system could disrupt all of that. It's a phenomenally dangerous uh, situation that we have. It most certainly has played a role uh, in uh, the um, uh, situation of the athlete uh, um, uh, political protest. I mean, look, uh, people were taking a knee in 1960s. Dr. King took a knee. I remember taking knees with students on campuses in protest of the Vietnam War. Uh, we've been taking, but what we didn't have was that photo of a player taking a knee that went viral. Uh, the closest thing that uh, we came to in terms of that kind of a protest going viral was Tommy Smith and John Carlos because it was at the Olympic Games. It was the first time that the games were broadcast live around the world uh, and uh, everybody saw it. And from that point on, the rest was history. But what this does now Socially, kind of an impact multiplied by millions of hits and retweets and Instagrams uh, and so forth. So uh, the social media is something that we have to come to grips with. It's a two-edged sword. Uh, we see it operating in some of these racist, uh, neo-Nazi, uh, ultra-right-wing conspiracy theory groups. Uh, and at the same time, we see it operating where people are able to alert entire communities by hitting one button on a computer that hey, there's a, a gas leak, uh, there's a fire danger, or we need you to evacuate right now. Uh, it's a it's a double edged sword. And to be perfectly honest with you, no one knows how to manage it. We can't even stop our elections from being tampered with by foreign interest uh, because we don't know how to control and manage the social media and the internet. Wow. Great answer. Um, you talk about the iconic image in 1968 and, you know, obviously you were the, you know, impetus behind it. What was that moment like for you when you actually saw the, the fists go up and the, the power of that. What, how did you experience that? I was, uh, I had two reactions. One, I was profoundly proud of, moved by, um, thankful for the courage, the commitment, the things that we had discussed all of a sudden just all came to a head uh, of Smith and Carlos. I was also profoundly questioning of what that other guy was doing. I don't think he understood what he was doing when he put that button on. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't part of the Olympic Project Human Rights. He didn't know about the, the FBI investigations. He didn't know about the shots being fired. And one thing that he didn't know about the death threats. He didn't know, but he put that button on and walked up there. And I think that he was probably, when he got back to Australia, one of the biggest defenders at the time of South Africa and Southern Rhodesia, who we had uh, uh, forced out of the games under threat of a black boycott by African-Americans and Africans uh, and uh, uh, black people in other parts of the world. Uh, and when he went back where, with that button, 
it, it was like, I mean, they did not even allow him to run in the 72 Olympics, even though he was still probably their best sprinter. And so at the, at the end of it, I, I, I looked at that and, and uh, I was extremely uh, proud of the courage and commitment and so forth of Smith and Carlos. But I wondered if Peter Norman knew what he was doing, because once he stepped off into where he was ever again, and he really never was able to do that. And he, you know, he's a white, white Australian. So he, I mean, I, I, it's funny, like I never knew it took me years to learn that he was part of that. You know, you see the photo and at first you think, well, that, that Australian guy is not part of this, yeah. but then, yeah, he was, he was uh, trying to do his own gesture and had the button on. And Well, the, the reality is on the way up to the podium, Paul Hoffman, who was part of the Harvard University crew team, which had come out and supported us early on. And we asked, he was, was Carlos and Smith had on Olympic Project. He said, uh, hey, you, you want the Olympic Project Human Rights button? Peter Norman said, yeah. He took it and pinned it on, literally on the way to the to the podium. And, 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 and every time he came, Came up, I said, "Hey, I don't care what what the deal is. I hope Peter Norm don't blame me for this. If he's gonna blame somebody, blame Paul Hoffman." <laughs> but Did Paul, you... uh, Paul's a great guy. He knew Paul knew what what the deal was, and I'm quite certain that uh, uh, he presumed that uh, Peter had been uh, pretty much on top of what was going on. I'm, I don't think that anyone who was not actually under that pressure from the fall of 1967 through August and October of 1968, knew what the pressure was. I mean, the, the, uh, the death threats, the uh, uh, assaults on, on our cars and on our apartments and homes and all the rest of it. I mean, nobody knew, nobody knew about that. And who do you go to, the police? I don't think so. Uh, you know, no, that, that's not the, that will go. You call the FBI. I don't think so. You they, already, they already know the FBI. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. They, they, I'm probably certain they, they knew more about it than I did. Yesterday was a big, big news day. Um, we had the unanimous Supreme Court decision that may open the floodgates for college athletes to be less exploited. And then we had Carl Nassib of the Raiders come out as the first openly gay active NFL player. Um, you know, two pretty significant things. How did you process the, both of those pieces of news? Well, I feel the same way about the unanimous Supreme Court decision relative to uh, compensation and so forth for athletes as I feel about uh, the um, uh, statement uh, from the league office concerning uh, race norming and they're doing away with that. I want to see what the delivery looks like. In uh, looking at that uh, Supreme Court decision, I've read it and commented on it in the last 24 hours. Uh, there's nothing in there. When it's supposed to be done, how it's supposed to be done, what is specifically covered in terms of doing it as far as education-related uh, uh, additional money and so forth is concerned. Uh, none of that's in there. And so it either falls to the NC2A which is like uh, saying, hey, we're sick of these bank robberies and we're going to leave it in the hands of the bank robbers to come up with a system <laughs> that corrects this. Uh, and, and, and uh, it, you know, it's like putting Dracula in charge of the blood bank. Uh, and, and so now uh, it's floating out. NC2A is trying to get control of it so that they 
won't have a wildcatting situation going where one school is literally splitting profits with athletes and another school is trying to figure out how they can get an athlete an extra bowl of cereal in the morning for breakfast. They're trying to get control of that. They don't want to leave it up to the individual schools. They're not even sure they can leave it up to the conferences. They're trying to get everybody on the same page and actually appealing to the United States Congress to come up with a solution uh, to this. So I'm nowhere near about ready to start cheering and clapping and, and saying, uh, you know, amen to this uh, unanimous uh, decision because it was a decision, but it decided nothing that we didn't already know, that uh, the uh, way the institute operates, they're running a system of serfdom, uh, which is morally uh, reprehensible. It's politically unsustainable, especially when you're talking about principally black athletes in revenue producing sports of basketball and football. Uh, and uh, it is uh, educationally uh, absolutely uh, un un untenable. How, how do you have this type of an operation going on within the midst of an educational institution where uh, when you boil it all off in every state in this union, the highest paid public official is a coach, a basketball coach or a football coach. How is that educationally tenable? How can you talk about educational integrity with that kind of a cesspool sitting right in the middle of the campus, dominating the campus? So, uh, I'm not ready to start cheering uh, uh, this uh, decision because it really didn't decide anything except what we already know, which is that uh, the uh, NC2A uh, is not um, morally, politically, or educationally uh, competent uh, to run uh, collegiate sports. But telling me that is like telling me my nose has has two holes in it. I see that every day that I get up in the morning uh, and look in the mirror. So at, at, at the end of the day, I don't know what that means. As far as to make that statement, um, uh, I think um, is uh, not just um, uh, admirable, uh, it's um, uh, uh, profoundly moving. Uh, and so I, I, I wish him well. I know that it's going to be a, a rough um, uh time for him, at least uh, initially, uh, because we're still confronted with the uh, harebrained knuckle draggers uh, who um, uh, somehow um, have a difficult time accepting people as they are uh, and looking for the benefits and contributions that all of this diversity brings to us all. Uh, so I'm uh, 1,000%. I wish him well. Uh, and um, uh, if he was uh, ever up as a free agent, I'd do everything that I could to, uh, to get him into uh, uh, the San Francisco organization because he is a hell of a football player. No That's doubt. Awesome. Um, I, I mean, I guess I would just, we've had you for so long, so I just, I don't want to keep you forever, but um, I could talk to you forever. So I, you know, <laughs> I was lucky enough to go to Cal in the 80s, yeah. take Dr. Edwards' class. I did a senior honors thesis with him. He suggested I look at racism in the sports media. Which, you know, at the time, the the media were freaking out about Al Campanis and Jimmy the Greek. Yeah. And, and he smartly said, well, let's look at that industry, too. And, um, you know, I was able to go into the media and, and 
stay in touch with him. So you've just, you've been such an important presence in my life. Um, you know, Natalie, who's going to be around a lot longer and, and fighting, hopefully, you know, these battles against gun proliferation and climate change and uh, race, racial divide and everything else. Um, you know, I, I guess I just want to ask you, you, you expressed some optimism about the young people and the, the current movement. What gives you hope and, and what advice would you give to, to her generation going forward? I think that I think that we're in, we're in a, we're in a period that's prime and ripe for collaborative activism. That's something I've always been committed to. The, when uh, uh, the, the the first thing that I did when um, uh, they I got a call from the uh, Peter Uroth, who was commissioner of Major League Baseball, about the uh, Al Campanis thing, was to call Al Campanis and ask him, let let you and I sit down and talk about. It solve this. And uh, we finally got around and said, is there anybody know of who you think has the potential to become a front office uh, uh, person? And he said, yeah, Dusty Baker with the with, with the Dodgers. And I said, okay, then here's what we're going to do. Uh, just like I'm reaching out to you, we're going to take Dusty Baker and ask their arch rival, San Francisco Giants, to hire him. Uh, rivalry, uh, antipathies, and everything else. And, of course, the rest of it is history. Dusty is still, uh, they hired a batting coach. It was not long before he became a manager, and he's still managing uh, all these years later. Uh, the uh, same with Bill Walsh. Nobody was more critical of the 49ers because of a quota, because of never having interviewed a black coach and all than I was in the 1960s. But when Bill Walsh said, Harry, let's sit down. We got some issues here that I think that we can work together. Absolutely. Uh, and that's, uh, uh, I've been there for 37 years. Uh, the, the same with uh, Roger Goodell. I mean, Roger is the commissioner. He catches a lot of hell. He does a lot of things sometimes that I don't agree with, but I'll, he always feels comfortable to pick up the phone and say, Harry, what do you think about this? And the same with me. So we can't stop talking to each other. That's the major thing. I don't care how far out we get. We can't get to the point to where we are so averse to even talking to each other that we slam that down because at that point, is hopeless. So that gives me hope when I see these young people of all different races, all different religions out there in the street trying to make a point, trying to get understood. Gives me hope. The other thing that gives me is that we've been through worse and come out so much better. We went through a civil war that killed more people than all of the other wars of men out without slavery through a labor movement where people were literally shot down in the street outside of the factory but we came out with the eight-hour day and into child labor and into uh labor of women doing uh, uh heavy work and that kind of thing uh, uh in association with the mines uh we uh went through uh, a, um, a women's suffrage movement where women were beaten and jailed but we came out uh with women's right to vote we came out with some serious changes. We went through a civil rights movement that killed more people from the turn of the 20th century through the assassination of Dr. King, three times as many as killed. Plus, we're not strangers to movements. Sam Adams and the Sons of Liberty movement, that wasn't a British government program. Uh, the same with the abolitionist movement. Uh, 
the labor movement, the women's suffrage movement, the environmentalist movement, the civil rights movement, the Me Too movement, because people in this country, there's a streak of decency that takes seriously that call, that mandate in the very first line of the uh, preamble to the Constitution of the United States, we, well, it doesn't say we the we the courts or we the we the presidents as we the people in order to form that more perfect union Trick of decency that takes that seriously and that's what all these are about and so led by young people I'm not hopeful I'm profoundly confident uh, we've got to keep the faith We've got to continue to believe in and communicate with each other. I don't care how far apart we get. I don't care how intense the debate and the discussion. We can't stop talking to each other. We can't stop reaching out to each other across the barricades. So I think we're going to be just fine. And uh, as long as people around like this young lady who said next day, and young lady, let me say something right now. I'm so glad that you took out your mom. And you're, <laughs> you're I'm gonna tell you something. You are, you, you're, you're, you're brilliant, beautiful, articulate, Mike. You know, you, you did the same thing I did. You married up, so you have some beautiful kids. Indeed, I was gonna say you got three. You know, there's three people that I was about. Um, yeah, very good. And, and you, yeah, but we're gonna be just fine. You're more than fifty years married. I mean, that is unbelievable. So. Yeah, fifty-four. Been into this for been into this for fifty-four years, wow. and he's gonna recognize that at some point you move from marriage to martyrdom. You know what? Feel <laughs> better than options. I'm thirty. <laughs> I talked about how brave he was. Well, she might be the bravest American. <laughs> you know? Wow. Uh, thank yeah, you. Fifty-four years. That's a, that's a blessing. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, you're you know can't wait to see you out and about post. Uh, post, you know, in our post-vaccine world, it's going to be great. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you all for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been a privilege for me to talk to you. I hope so. at least some of it made sense and, <laughs> and you get through cutting it up and everything. Uh, um, uh, maybe you'll find something that's worthy of uh, putting on there. Yeah, maybe, maybe just a little. A little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll send it to you. Thank you so much. <laughs>